Hey, players, this is a special preview of some of our content over at Game of Crimes on Patreon. We provide a lot of content. In fact, we have over 57 posts where we go into things like our case of the month, which is what this special episode will be about. We have our bonus episodes. In fact, we just finished a 12-part series with Murph and JP talking about the real DEA narcos, talking about the real DEA narcos. The reason you won't hear this anywhere else because these guys have never done this anywhere else. Only on Game of Crimes, over at Patreon, you get to hear this kind of content. We also go into things like our monthly live stream where we review movies. And in fact, for December, we reviewed the greatest Christmas movie ever made. Yes, Die Hard. And in fact, we reviewed it with one of the LAPD SWAT members. In fact, Rick Massa was involved in that epic North Hollywood shootout. He was our special guest analyst for Die Hard. And so you're going to hear stuff you don't hear anywhere else, only here on Game of Crimes. So what we wanted to do is let you hear the case of the month. This is actually one of my cases, a gang-related homicide where the victim was run over with his own car eight times by two suspects. We ended up arresting a lot of people, but the details are in the investigation, and that's what we cover in this. So stay tuned. We're going to play about 25 minutes of it, and then I'll give you more information at the end of it. So remember, this is an exclusive preview of content you'll find only over on Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. So let's get ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. It is that time of year. It is the giving season, and we're in the giving mood. And not only are we giving away stuff, we review the greatest Christmas movie ever made. Die, Die Hard. That's it. Die That's Hard. It. So make sure you guys tune into that. It's going to be on our Facebook page, December 22nd, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, being, uh, Facebook.com slash Game of Crimes podcast. You can see it there live. We might have a, you know, some surprises. Who knows? Some special effects. Murph's going to throw a flashbang, you know, at the right time and blow out the windows in his house. You just never know. You never know. That's it. <laughs> we got company coming in, so it might be a good time for that. It might be a good time to practice, you know, a dynamic entry techniques. So, Kids and grandkids. It's going to be a lot of fun, but might be just a little bit stressful. <laughs> you might need an extraction team, not an entry team. <laughs> you're not we'll kidding. Come in, we'll come in and get you. So, hey, guess what, folks? By the way, if you're listening to this, it means you are a valued member of our player community. You are on Patreon, and you are listening to our Case of the Month. And guess what? If you're listening to our Case of the Month, that means you are at the Warden of the Throne or Guardian at the Realm level, and we appreciate you so much, don't we, Murph, Absolutely. for spending their hard-earned money with us. Absolutely. We couldn't do any of this without you. It's, it's uh, an adventure Well, we for could. Us. We just wouldn't get paid for it. We'd just be talking to nobody. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they saw our expenses, they'd know we're not making any money. <laughs> oh, dude. People, people uh, on minimum wage 40 years ago were making more than us right now, but hey, uh, let me tell it's you, fun. As a, as a uniformed police officer in 1975 in Bluefield, West Virginia, I was making more per hour than we're making on this. But hey, not complaining here. We're having a blast. It's and a we labor love you for of what love. You're but doing. look, you build it up, right? You build it, you build it up there and we yep. do it because folks like you tell one, share one, tell one person about this, share the link with them, get them on Patreon so that we can talk to you about this month. Of course, if it's the 20th, it's our case of the month. And Murph had it last month. So that means I have it this month. So it's it is that time of the month again, Murph. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. And just, you know, just, I mean, prepare everybody here. Might want to get your pillows and blankets because this, you know, it is Morgan's case here. So let's see what happens. That's going to be boring. However, I will tell you <laughs> this one, uh, I was giving Murph a little heads up. This one is going to be graphic. 
Um, yeah. This one is a this one's a bad uh, case. Uh, so I- anyway, if you guys you know sit down, let's strap in and we'll get started. But what we'll do is let me kind of set the stage. Is that normally like when you work investigations? I was a detective at this time. We worked pretty closely with the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, the Finney County Sheriff's Office. We all had a good working relationship. So anytime there's a case that might cross jurisdictional boundaries, there was no pissing contest. You know, there was no um, you know we want to do this for the glory. We all just work together. And so this is going to be one of those cases. But it starts off in the city. It actually starts off on February fourth, nineteen ninety six. Uh, at 0529 hours. So we use, you know, military time. So it occurred at 530 in the morning, basically. And one of the uh, patrol officers is driving in her district and she comes across this car in front of Buffalo Jones Elementary School. Her name's Katie Pauley. Now, before we get started, I got a quick story about Katie. Uh-oh. She married, no, no, it's, it's a good one. It's a fun one. Uh, she married a guy named Paul Pauley. He started off as a firefighter, saw the light, became a cop, um, and which is good for him. But uh, back when she was single, uh, she's driving a little piece of shit car. I think it was a Hyundai. It was like a gold-colored Hyundai. Well, we would get some rains in some of those areas. And, you know, we wouldn't get a whole lot of rain because it's western Kansas. But when you did, it would tend to – the stump of the streets might flood. And in the – you know, the areas where there's the dips, you know, it would get – it would – you know, get the water would actually get kind of high. Well, we told her, we said, you know, you you just got to be careful, you know, driving through those things, especially in patrol cars. And because uh, some of these Chevys at the time, you know, they were just Chevy Caprices. They, they just, they weren't exactly the best cars. They were like boats. Literally, they were boats. So <laughs> we get a call one night. We get a call one night and uh, it's been raining and she hit something and she needs help because her car has flooded out. She hit the water. It flooded out the vehicle. So we started calling her. And that was about the time when... Um, Tom Clancy's The Hunt for Red October came out, so we started calling her Pinger. Give me one ping for Sully. One <laughs> ping only, please. She actually put that on the tag of her car, Pinger, P-I-N-G-R. So Katie Polly, Pinger. Hey, Katie, I, I, I sympathize with you. When I was in Miami, I was driving a C's car. It was a, a Nissan Maxima, and we were out doing surveillance. And you know how in Miami you had the summer rainstorms every single day? And we're in a neighborhood. At 3 o'clock, like clockwork, every day, 3 o'clock. Yep, and then it just got so steamy. Well, the rain stopped, and I'm trying to catch up to surveillance because we'd been peeling off each other. And I went through a puddle, and it hit the engine of that Maxima, and every window in the car just steamed up immediately. (laughs) I had to lock up the brakes, slide to a stop, and then I'd sit there with towels for about 10 minutes while the windows dried out. So I'm with you, sister. I know where you've been. No, where's she been? Well... This Garden City ain't Miami. I'll tell you that right now. So uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, Katie, but she drives up on this. And of course, she does the right thing. She secures the area. And obviously what she sees right away, both uh, the headlights were on. There's no keys in the ignition. Both windows were broken out of both doors, the driver's side and the passenger side front doors. Blood inside the car on the hood, grill, and driver's side interior. So it was pretty clear that something bad had happened, and the driver, the victim's name is Juan Aon, A-Y-O-N. Juan is missing, and Juan at this point, too, I think he's about, let me check the report here, um, he is, uh, I think, 34 years old at that point, 33 years old, so he's 33. Had he been reported Miss- missing? No, had not been reported missing at that point, okay. So, and there's a reason why, too. Uh, it, as we got witness statements later, I kind of jump ahead a little bit, but he had gotten with some friends, said, hey, let's go drinking, let's you know, go get some beer, so he left, so he was not reported missing at that point, but uh, so Katie Pauly, Officer Pauly gets down there, well, I get called out, and um, 
so as we're getting to that, but we've got other people coming down because one of the things that was seen from there is that there's two sets of footprints, one from the driver's side, one from the passenger side, clearly get out and leave. Now, Steve, there's something, one of the, and this is one of the lessons I learned when I went through uh, the FBI serial crime profiling course and stuff. Anytime you find a vehicle that's been abandoned, there's a good chance is that they are, they live close to that area because they'll abandon the vehicle. They're not going to abandon it 10 miles away and walk 10 miles. Right. So this is February in Kansas. It's cold. I think it was seven degrees that morning. We pulled <laughs> temperatures, wind chill. Yeah. So it was seven degrees that morning. So it was not, yeah, it was not, you know, nice and toasty like it is down in, in uh, Florida, you traitorous bastard. 68 degrees okay. at six o'clock this morning, just so you know. Yeah, it was 24 degrees at six o'clock this morning, <laughs> just so that you know. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> So, uh, so we, you know, obviously there's footprints there. So one of the key things you got to do is you got to preserve that entire area because we got to, we got to be, we got to stop vehicles from driving through it. Cause you could actually obliterate key pieces of evidence, which a footprint, actually a photograph I took, uh, ended up becoming one of the biggest pieces of evidence in the case, linking the person. Cause there's a technique too, especially when you take photographs in the snow, Steve, mm-hmm. which you don't know about living in Florida now. Um, but <laughs> snow is that white powdery stuff, not cocaine, <laughs> that white powdery stuff, right? That's on the ground. But one of the things you have to do is you have to take pictures. You don't take it straight down. I mean, you take pictures straight down. You shine a light from the side so you can get some shadow, so you can get some contrast. And then we use this special ruler to it's for photogrammetry. So it allows you then to actually go back and scientifically uh, measure things to know, okay, we know, we know the ruler is exactly this big. Now we know how big the shoe is. And on shoes, there's always things called artifacts, defects in there that we can use to not only tie this pattern of the shoe, but the actual get down to the actual shoe. So they kept that area, um, pretty well secured. Uh, but we started, obviously we started looking for things. So, uh, one of the key things you do at that point too, like I said, we started calling out other officers. I'm the duty detective. So I'm the lead right now. And, uh, you know, we've got to start securing the crime scene. Obviously we want to start looking for one a on the victim to see, has he returned home? You know, is there anything there? So we've got people doing that at that time. And uh, let me pull up my my portion because what I would do, we got started. We were supposed to start. You guys wouldn't know this too. We were going to start at uh, recording thirty minutes earlier, but I had to go through four hundred and seventy two pages to find just the ones I wanted to talk about, and that boiled it down to about seventy. Damn! <laughs> but, if you got that done in thirty minutes, that's pretty damn good. Well, you know, you remember the case too, so I I I don't have to scan. I don't have to pull out all the evidence reports or some of the f- supplemental reports by other detectives because. I was there. So basically what happened was um, I get called. Uh, so at five, so uh, Katie Pauly finds it at 529. They secure the area. And then obviously the supervisor gets there to determine they need an investigator. So I get called at 555 AM that morning. Um, I arrive on scene, you know, within 30 minutes. So for about the next 30 minutes, I processed the vehicle. And, you know, when I got there, it was, there was an extensive amount of blood, Steve, originating all, all over the area. I mean, I looking at my report here, extensive amount of blood originating for the passenger headlight area. So one of the things that tells me it's the passenger headlight area, it means something got struck in the passenger headlight area because we have blood spatter now. So you'll hear cast off stains. You'll hear about things like that. Well, blood spatter. So if you have a knife, a hammer, stuff like that, they can actually tell if your hand's moving up, if it's moving down. Well, that spatter means is that um, it's a law of physics. An option in motion remains at motion unless acted upon by an unbalanced external force. Well, something got hit enough to where the blood, basically the car's moving forward, but the blood is in a sense stationary. As the car moves forward, that blood comes back in space and it splatters the car. So we know we've got points of impact on the car, which, you know, right away, Steve, I'm thinking 
this is not going to end well. You know, this is not a missing person as far as I'm concerned right, right. now. I was going to say, anytime you get a call at 5.30, 5.50 a.m., it's never a good thing. It's not like somebody's calling and say, hey, pal, how you doing this morning? Want to grab coffee? It's bad news. Well, and it's funny, too, because the episode with uh, Trisha Cannon just came out this morning, uh, episode 28, and that's what she said. Nothing really happens between 9 and 5, you know. <laughs> crime, for some reason, crime doesn't happen between 9 to 5. It happens, you know, in the late evening, early morning hours. Go figure, right? So, you know, so kind of give you guys an idea of what it's like, you know, when you go there. I mean, I take detailed notes and stuff, so I can tell you, you know, minute to minute where I'm at doing it. So uh, from 621 to 722, I process the scene from 722 to 911, not the call number, or the but 911 a.m. I was at the law enforcement center collecting additional follow-up. And coffee. Briefing. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, you're going to have to get a lot of coffee at that point. <laughs> so then from 912 to 1046, I directed a search uh, in the 700 block of Taylor that ended in the 900 block of Pearl. So we're now searching the stuff from 1046 to 1105. I was in search, searched the 1800 block of Buffalo Jones, you know, and I'm going through and then, you know, I, I examined the vehicle. So you want to do a quick examination. We had the vehicle towed. And that's one of the key things, too, is when you tow it, I actually recovered some evidence off of the vehicle. I had some brush. And the, 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 that was key because uh, later on we get the Highway Patrol aircraft. We have an idea of what we're looking for, and I think one of the guys may have spotted it. We just weren't sure. I don't know. You know, to this day I'm thinking, why didn't did a deputy go out there? Because actually, where we thought we spotted something was actually in the county, not too far outside the city, but it's in the county. So I'm not sure if a deputy went out there and didn't see it. But anyway, but um, you know, pulling additional stuff. So it's a piece of brush which tells me. Uh, we, we know the area pretty well, so it has to be down by the river, the Arkansas River, which had no water in it at the time, so it's the Arkansas River bed. And you got Arkansas shirt on with the hogs on. Is that I another said, free shirt, Murph? It was. We spoke at the University of Arkansas, and I got, I got a free T-shirt out of it. <laughs> Do you own any clothing? <laughs> uh, a couple. <laughs> a couple. Uh, they might be a little ragged. I just don't want to know if you get free underwear. That is a discussion for another time. Uh, just, just, uh, just think of thong and then move on. Which, by the way, it's one of the funny stories. A guy, a Florida guy, got arrested for putting a thong over his face as a mask on a United Airlines flight and got kicked off. Idiots, idiots. I was sorry. Came to one of our one of our players put that out on Twitter. Anyway, so what I did is because I used to be on the state patrol, I got a hold of the guys, and uh, so from eleven forty three basically to thirteen forty four. So basically for about two hours, uh, we conducted you know aerial surveillance all over the area. Um, you know, up and down the county line, uh, looking along the riverbed. We thought, again, I thought we spotted something, but again, we're still looking, at this point, we're still looking for a body. We're still searching and stuff. So I get back at about 1.45 uh, or about 2.15, I arrive back at the law enforcement center. I've, I've got evidence I'm collecting. So at about 3.04 that afternoon, we get advised uh, possible crime scene uh, at 809, place called 809 Chesterfield. We get there and what it was is we'd found, uh, uh, and I'll get into it a little bit later, but that's where we found some glass. So we remember the glass, the windows were broken out of the passenger vehicle. Well, we found the glass and we found some blood at this other location. But then guess what? Just as that shit's happening, you know, I'm working the crime scene there. We get a, uh, at about five, so for from 308 to 519, we're doing that. But at 519, somebody had found a body. Um, in the county, just literally, I mean, li when I say literally, just like half a mile outside the city limits, but it's in the county. How did you get the report of the bo broken glass? Uh, somebody had spotted it. Um, uh, uh, somebody, I, I, house, I mean, right? I, 
Yeah, I think I'll have to look through the reports. Uh, I think through our uh, follow-ups, I should say, I think through our follow-ups, because we're all over the place, I think one of the officers, I'll have to take a look at it, but I think one of the officers came across it, came okay. across the broken glass, because that is in the area of where all of the stuff was going on. So, you know, you start what you do is you do concentric right. rings, you start the crime scene, you keep working your way up, because the other thing we do, too, you got to be methodical. This is one of the things, too, about doing cases. Like you got to know, we've got we've got maps of the streets, so and we know each house that's there. We want to know who's there, have we interviewed? Them, who have we not interviewed? We have to make sure we go back. We want to make sure that we interview everybody around that area. Then we expand it out and keep expanding it. And that's how I believe we had found it. But then everything turns upside down because then at 519, um, a, a, a citizen is out driving in that area and sees, discovers the body. So we respond. So I'll tell you how close I was uh, to this. This is how close we were to the body. The, at 719, uh, I get the call that a uh, body's been discovered, and three minutes later, I was on scene. I mean, that's how close we were. Dang. You know, we, we knew that we knew that we, we had a good feeling because of the brush in the car and potentially what the trooper spotted as we were flying, that the body had to be down there somewhere. So... So what you do is, I mean, this is now, this is winter, right? So guess, you know, Steve, you know what it was like up here when you used to be up here in Northern Virginia, TV, um, Benedict Murphy. <laughs> TV, um, I like it. <laughs> TV, TV, Benedict Murphy. So you know what it's like? I mean, because it gets dark here, you know, at 4.30, you know, 5 o'clock. Mm -hmm. So we're getting down to that point where we have to make a, this is one of the key decisions we have to make right away. So first thing you do is when you get there, you tell everybody, basically stay the hell away from my crime scene. Nobody goes in. I find a place that you can walk up to the body where there's no uh, tire tracks, there's no shoe prints. I walk up, I want to take photographs of everything around the body uh, and around that area. Then I get up on a hilltop and I take pictures of the whole crime scene. And then we have a decision to make. So um, I'm there from 522 at 743. Uh, I've got a KBI agent that works this with me, Kansas Bureau of Investigation named Mike Keller. Mike was a great guy to work with. Him and I worked a lot of cases together. We decide what we're going to do because there's two decisions we could have made. We could have left the body there until morning because we're securing the crime scene till morning. There's, it's really very tough to process the crime scene in the middle of the night with as cold as it is considering the stuff we have to do. There's little chance because there's no snow coming in. We, we check the weather um, or we take the body and we secure the crime scene. So what we decided to do, and it was really out of, you know, for the family. I mean, yeah. how would you feel if you knew that that your husband, the body had been found and it was left out in the field all night long? Oh yeah, you'd be in court over that one. Well, but you know, but we, but it was a, but we had to be careful though too because we wanted to make sure we didn't compromise the crime scene to where anything we found then would be hard to introduce later. So, but we felt that we had enough initial light at that time. Um, we were going to just lock the scene down. We were able to remove the body and then take it down to uh, the hospital where the morgue is at and wait for a pathologist to come. So we removed the body that night. Um, and so one of the things you have to do is you take custody of the body, just like a piece of evidence. So um, we, uh, I was in charge of the investigation. We're working with the sheriff's office. Now, here's a, here's a, a thing, too, and I, you probably dealt with this uh, when you were in Krusty Krab, uh, West Virginia there. Krusty Crotch, what is it? Blue, blue Crotch? <laughs> Something like that. But 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 when you're a Fed, you didn't actually this didn't affect you as much as it would affect us even at the state. Um if a let's say that you're kidnapped in um West Virginia, mm -hmm. you're driven across the state line into Virginia mm -hmm. and you're killed in Virginia, you can prosecute them either place. But right. um 
but you know, because the crime starts more, you didn't have to worry about that too much as a Fed because you had jurisdiction over everything. So, but in the county, the question is, um, we had to we had to determine was he kidnapped from the city and taken into the county? Uh, because obviously the body is in the county. That's going to be the crime scene. So that appears the homicide occurs in the county. So we made we early on we just made an agreement with the sheriff's office. We're going to be the lead agency. We'll be the primary because it all started in town, did and then KBI, we'll work around that. Did KBI have any input on that? Now, KBI uh, is an assisting agency at that point, so they're 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 they've got statewide jurisdiction. So, uh, and the great thing about having KBI is we didn't have to worry if we needed to go to another location or do anything. They had you know resources you know through around the state, which we ended up going to other places and doing interviews. So. You know, obviously we get back and this, this is, uh, this is still, uh, you know, on that same day. So my night, my day starts at basically, uh, five 30 that morning or five 45 that morning, five 55, I'm sorry, get the call. You know, uh, I arrived back at the LEC basically at eight 30 at night and I'm there until past midnight. You know, we're still doing follow-up. We've got interviews to do of the brother, um, of the wife. Uh, you know, we've got some witnesses now that are starting to come forward and so we start, you know, this, this, this thing is in motion. We've got several detectives now working with me. We've got the sheriff's office. So, and the KBI is down there now too. So we probably have, I would say 15, 15 investigators on the ground working this in addition to patrol who are securing uh, things. And so now we're starting to hone in on the, the footwear is going to be key because I have an article here later, uh, Steve, from the Supreme Court in Kansas where this case was appealed to. And a lot of the, it was, it was nailing down the footwear that people had that we found at suspects' houses later during search warrants was very key. So, you know, we started tracking this footwear. One quick question. You said you arrived back at LAC. What's that? The Law Enforcement Center. Okay. Got to watch those acronyms. You know how you state local. Now, I defined it the first time. I said LEC, Law Enforcement Center. You just forgot I said that. (laughs) It's still too early for you, isn't it? I mean, you're ready for your first nap or second nap. I can't remember. When we finish this interview. So, Again, two distinct sets of footwear, so uh, we're tracing them all throughout the area. It looks like in one area, the footprints continue, but we lose sight of them, and we lose sight of them right at a place where it looks like tire tracks come through. So our thinking is somebody had gotten into the vehicle at that point, but again, we still go off the assumption if the vehicle's there, um, most likely they're very close to that area. So I take uh, photographs. One of them is pretty clear, a Nike. Nike was a popular shoe at that time. We had seen so many crime scenes with Nike shoes. So we knew it was a Nike, uh, but the other one was basically looked like a bootwear. So one of the things I have is a diagram that we draw, and it shows, you know, the different uh, shoe impressions. So I actually have the measurements of everything plus the photographs uh, and the tire impressions in the area. So what I was getting back to, um, actually, uh, what we did at that night and even that morning, you know, when taking pictures, like I said, you use the flashlight. Did you do it from the side to get contrast because it creates shadows? Right. And now you get a real good but we do something unique the next day at the crime scene I'll tell you about with the uh, KBI. So we're up in the air. Like I say, uh, we come back. Um, we've got the footwear impressions. Uh, we've got our evidence technician out. We've got additional things. We've got consent to searches going on. We're prepping a few search warrants at this point. And so that's, you know, basically through the first day, that's what we're doing. And then there's a lot of follow-up. You know, it's midnight. Um, we're, we're trying to log evidence, doing a lot of follow-up. But then the next day is going to be a very long day because the officers have been out at the crime scene. So this is on the 5th now. Uh, The officers have been out on the crime scene um, securing it. So the next day, uh, the KBI agent, Mike Keller, and I, uh, we're in charge of processing the crime scene. So, And you can see that it's a collaborative effort because... Um, it's in the county, but the city, me, I'm leading the crime scene search along with the KBI, like I said, really good working relationship with the time. So 
we process that whole crime, and we are looking everywhere. We're documenting everything. And one of the neat things, uh, there there are techniques for you can actually cast impressions in the snow, but you have to use certain things. But one of the neat things Mike Keller did, and I thought it was really cool, he had silver spray paint. So you use silver spray paint. I can't remember what else he did. It might have been lacquer. But you use that, the silver spray paint really highlights the ridges and definition, and then the lacquer obviously, you know, uh, locks it into place. Wow. And then we're actually able to cast it uh, using some special material that he had that was kind of cold, because if you do anything warm, guess what's going to happen? I mean, right. boom. Melt so the snow. it's really, yeah, it's kind of like, it's, it's like making cold oatmeal in a sense. So, uh, you know, we put it in there, we get, we get a good cast of that. But we are out there from basically nine o'clock in the morning till five at night processing this whole thing. But then we go to the um, vehicle. So the vehicle has been taken to our police garage. It's been secured down there. So we have KBI agents down there. Uh, we're going to do blood spatter analysis. But first thing we got to do is, is we super glue the car. And so we create an entire super glue fuming tent around the car. And we bring the, uh, I just face, face out the names, something cry, cry, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's the official name for no, not cryogenics. You're thinking of Ron Hubbard. Eugene, I don't know what it is, but I forget the specific name for superglue. But yeah, we. But that's one of the things they noticed too. Is that's how this was discovered. They noticed that the fumes from the superglue would actually adhere to anything that was fingerprints. Uh, you know, the the oils in your fingerprints and stuff. Mm-hmm. And what it would do, just like superglue, it would create. Uh, very hard ridges so that we could actually identify things that we couldn't see on leather, on vinyl, on, um, you know, the interior and stuff. So we, we put this all together. I can't tell you how many rolls of film we shot. I mean, we, it's one of the things, man, you never get a second chance, you know, on evidence like that. So, and back, that was back in the day before digital stuff. So we were shooting roll after roll after roll of 35 millimeter film. We take a picture, take a picture, take a picture. I mean, sometimes we have two to three pictures of the same thing because you never know if it's going to be out of focus, something might be lost. And then we'd take a duplicate set of uh, pictures with a second roll just in case something happens to the first roll. I mean, this is a homicide investigation. You lose a roll of film. uh, You are pretty. It's nothing. And it looks like your name is cyanacrylate for superglue. Does that sound right? Cyanacrylate. That's the way I'd say it. Super glue through the magic of Google. Let's see what it says. Uh, super glue. What, what did you type in? Super glue. Name. Um, super glue name. Chemical name. All right. Uh, oh, cyanacrylate. Cyanoacrylate. Look at me. Cyanoacrylic. So, yeah. So, I- any of those things, uh, it will uh, adhere to that. But at the same time, so once we get done super gluing it, then we also start taping it. Um, I'm not sure if we taped it first or afterwards. Uh, I know, I think we taped it afterwards because we wanted to make sure the super glue, we didn't destroy any of the fingerprints potentially, you know, through the use of taping. So we super glued this whole thing. It takes about two hours. Then we're, then we're, uh, doing tape. And really that's what you're doing is, uh, we have fiber evidence cards. Um, we're looking for trace fiber evidence. So we are taping everything. We've got clear plastic tape. We tape the seats. We tape the floor. I mean, it is. Holy cow. It's, it's time consuming. I mean, oh, we yeah. are there. The most I've ever heard before was taking a big plastic bag and you put your super glue in there and put your item, which is, you know, something that you want to see if you can raise the fingerprints. But I've never heard of doing a whole car. That's pretty cool. Players, like I said, that was a special preview of some of our content you'll find only at patreon.com slash 
Game of Crimes. We've got some really good stuff. Like I said, 57 posts. We review a lot of things. In fact, one of our random surprises that we put out, we looked at the issue with fentanyl, the impact it was having, and what are some of the things that are being done to stop the importation of these drugs that are just killing people. In fact, fentanyl killed 100,000 Americans last year. And Murph and I get into some of these details. You'll find these in-depth discussions like this only over at Patreon. So come join us, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. In fact, come over there and you can hear our latest Q&A where Murph and I take all questions from everybody. We answer everything that you send to us, some interesting answers, some funny ones, and sometimes some really serious ones too. So we cover the entire gamut. So all of this and more, things we don't cover in our free episodes, we cover over here at patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. So Just click on the link in the episode notes and head on over and join us or go to patreon.com slash game of crimes. Take a look at all the fantastic content and see which level you want to be a player at in the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the game of crimes. 